Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. So I, I know we, the pop-up pantry that you're involved in has come up several times during our conversations. Um, and as I was sitting here kind of processing that a little bit, thinking about other conversations we've also had related to uh, you know solving problems, uh, working in community, seeking the flourishing, and really thinking about that from a, like a systemic perspective and not just uh, throwing a Band-Aid on a problem. Um, we, we've kind of addressed that. Uh, that classic charity model and how that's that's not um, maybe, maybe fully well thought or it's not actually fully solving the problem. So I was I was thinking about you know what's what's unique about the pop up pantry in this case or just as a case study. You know I know it's it's been really meaningful for you, um, but I'm I'm curious kind of how you process that. Do you think it is the right model? Is it is it I don't know. Um, so yeah, just curious your thoughts there. Yeah, let's let's have some fun. We'll kind of walk down a trail here. So listeners, we don't have this um, mapped out particularly well, but it does seem that it's a uh, it's a better path that we sort of stumbled into that uh, many before us have. Uh, it's got some of the, some of the uh, same characteristics or advantages or what have you. So uh, having said all that, um, first of all, it was Kathy and a handful of teachers at this public school who simply said, let's fire it up. Um, so I am, uh, remember America had that song horse with no name. Um, <laughs> I am the man with no name at this pop-up pantry. They say, Oh yeah, you're married to Kathy. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So there's <laughs> the first probably does you some good, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so that's it for today. That's called, uh, cause as you know, my attempts at humility have not been successful. I once wrote a book called humility and how I attained it. And it just, it just never really took off. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> all right let's get back to i think this is uh, this is a timely question in this regard so last night kathy says uh, well we'll let well, i'm going to be on a zoom it went an hour and a half and it was uh gee i'm going to try to mask the character so no one's saying oh i know that person um but here is the gist of it. So with the new recovery, with the, um, oh, what was the, uh, the, uh, the Biden Act that, that uh, disgorged 1.9 trillion or something like that, the numbers are not important. Uh, this county here is set to receive, I believe it's $110 million, $112 million. Wow. So this was a... Uh, um, this Zoom, which was called a listening session, which was kicked off by people talking quite a bit in the, in the beginning, um, was to listen to people who were involved in all sorts of charitable things uh, in the county, getting, uh, trying to listen to them as how, how do we spend, what's the best way to spend this, uh, this disgorging 
of $110 million. Again, the number may not be right. Let's just say it's north of $100 million, which in Congress is really chump change. We're really not talking real money yet. But <laughs> for a little levity here in the morning, Pat. <laughs> and uh, what struck me, I would summarize why I, I just not, maybe I'm just grossly immature. I just couldn't sit through it. And Kathy knows I just went off and did some work and sort of listened with half an ear. First of all, he had good participation. Uh, at, I don't know, let's say north of 30 people were on the call. And they're all really well-meaning uh, people. And they're, some are pretty passionate about what they're doing. First of all, it reminded me, a point of view is simply a view from a point. And so you have roughly 30 different and often rather disparate ideas about what to do with $110 million. So that's kind of an exercise in futility. It's like cobbling together by committee a mission statement for an organization. You end mm -hmm. up with a cacophony of words that make absolutely no sense. Mm -hmm. And then no one takes seriously. Uh, by the way, so the reason for the Zoom was then apparently they, uh, they then want to take this to the county executive and say, here's what we think would be a, a wise investment. Now let's give kudos to the Zoom call last night because it started out, the first person said, I want you to think big not like uh, put in a stop sign here or make a crosswalk. And yes, amen, good point. And then someone else, oh, uh, the next uh, person came on, said, uh, made mention of, I want you to think institutions. Mm -hmm. this, this is good. Yeah. And then, uh, so it was then, um, we're gonna break up into subgroups and I want you to talk about what would be the the most influential institution you've passed through. And by and large, uh, it took way too long, but by and large, most people were saying it was their uh, experience in the public school, primarily uh, elementary school. That's good. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is pretty good. Where I uh, lost interest is having said all that, it was off to the races on what to do with $110 million. Everything from, well, there's some land sitting out there. We could do a Votech thing to this and that and what have you. And here's the problem, um, Pat. Sorry, I just almost shake my ears off my head when I hit my ear pods. <laughs> I'm right now reattaching my earlobe. Uh, here's the difference, and I contrasted with this. So a couple of weeks ago, I uh, received news that the MacArthur Foundation I had about every two years offers the, it's called the $100 million challenge. Familiar with it? No. Yeah, you can Google it. It's easy to find. A MacArthur Foundation is big. At MacArthur, the family made most of the money out of uh, Florida real estate. They partnered, um, they were with overlapping institutions of Rockefeller uh, and all the rest. And so when Florida was opened up, they were the railroads hmm. and um, an immense amount of land. And so the MacArthur Foundation is a pretty large foundation. And they teed up, beginning several years ago, the $100 million challenge. And that is, if you can pitch a proposal for how you would solve one of the world's pressing problems, you get, no strings attached, $100 million. Hmm. Wow. Now here's the difference between MacArthur and what I heard last night. Yeah. MacArthur's is meritocracy. 
you know what that means sure uh yeah it's it's what's same it's what private ryan the last words he hears from the sergeant earn it you have to merit this money so i don't know how many proposals they receive and it goes through not an unduly burdensome process but it is a rigorous process mm, interesting i think I see word count yeah you see where we're going yeah as opposed to just open open dialogue where ideas have no cost just throw them out but even more importantly what have what has anyone done that in this bill this county merits 110 million dollars mm. see the the problem with the federal trough is it's a spigot and you have a bucket and it just pours the money in and drops the bucket off and says here spend it the macarthur foundation says here's a hundred million earn it we're not giving it to you if you can't demonstrate with an actionable business plan how this is the highest and best use of a hundred million dollars now i have some first-hand knowledge of this because a the first time i saw it i thought about my institute and said oh there's no way we're going to win that <laughs> we don't have the horsepower to do that and uh but i passed it on to my son mark who works for catholic release services uh does a lot of their audiovisual and so on and so forth and they made it to the finalists the final four one year and their proposal was one of the one of the most pressing problems they felt could be solved with 100 million was adoptions from the developing world because the research shows and a lot of people in the adoption business don't like to hear this but the research shows that over i believe it's over 90 percent of children who are adopted from the developing world the indications are they would actually they don't thrive they actually would do better if they could stay in their biological family in their country but that country lacks the infrastructure to sustain family structures so the overwhelming number of children are given up because the, the family simply does not have access to the institutions that are here in the developed world that assist you so you don't have to give up your children so it was a one and so all four proposals the key word in all four was infrastructure they would invest the money on infrastructure and uh, in the end actually all four uh, received a promise of from MacArthur, they were they're going to find the hundred million for all four. Wow! But the difference is, they were saying just this one problem of adoption, which, by the way, when word of this proposal that MacArthur got around, adoption agencies, Protestant, Catholic, screened bloody murder. Mm. Why? 
they would drive 90% of them out of business. It's once again an example of what Kuhn, Thomas Kuhn talked about in Structures of Scientific Revolutions is a paradigm shift throws people out of work. And so if you were serious about the well-being of children, not sustaining the adoption industry, they said it would cost north of $100 million to create the infrastructure in the developing world that would allow families access to the resources to keep their children. Wow. So you're saying the key point you made there was that it was one problem. One problem. problem. Hence, I have a story of a friend who uh, left the faith when he went off to a well-known evangelical college. And uh, one of his brother, who is not, who who is in faith, who is a believer, was talking to him one time when they were in D.C. And his brother, who is a believer, asked him once again why he left the faith. And he said, look around. I'm probably dumb, screwing up the story in some way, but as best it was told to me. He said, look around there in the, uh, I think, the Four Seasons. And uh, he said, okay, I'm looking around. He goes, you Christians really aren't, you don't swing in these circles. He said, I'll give you an example. The, the college that, I won't mention the college, it's a well-known evangelical college. He said, uh, they're trying to do X, Y, Z, and they've come to me for money, and it's a, they call it a $5 million project. Harvard's trying to do something very similar and they call it a $100 million project. You guys don't understand scales of economy. You don't understand what it's necessary to actually create the infrastructure to create change. Last night, as I listened in on Zoom, you have 30 different people pitching 30 different ideas. And we are, we are based, and while it was exactly, it was framed properly, think big, think, think institutions. After that, the discipline of meritocracy went out the window. And instead it moved into Pollyannish thinking, scraping the heavens for ideas. Give me one. So listeners can Google Washington Post Grand families, one word, grand families, Washington Post article, uh, Lifeway Church was one of the players in this project. Grand families are a big problem in the African-American community. It's basically the parents are either dead or incarcerated and the grandparents are raising the children. The grandparents are aging. This is a systemic problem in the African-American community. Lifeway Church, oh, probably 20 plus years ago, began to say, how would you actually solve this? In most cases, the problem with the charity model is is, uh, well described in the book, when helping hurts, is what you said, Pat, it's a Band-Aid, except that it doesn't even heal the oozing wound just staunches the flow of blood. But you gotta keep replacing the Band-Aid because Band-Aid gets soaked and so on and so forth. So the article describes how 
over the course of plus 10 years and the cost of, write this down, $90 million. Lifeway as an overlapping partnership with bankers, investors, developers, builders, governmental agencies, permission, permitting rather, uh, built, I believe it's called Park West, which is a, uh, a large condominium project, public-private partnership that is a profitable venture. So investors get a return on investment. And uh, my math may not be exactly right, but I think about 20% of the uh, condos are for grand families. And it's the idea was built in such a way that you now have a network, a social network, a, a web of families in and around these grand families <clears throat> helping to raise the children. And those 20% uh, are sort of subsidized. But the entire model is a for-profit model. $90 million plus one decade to build. Ah, that's a commitment. No, it's called realist, realism. Mm. See, because last night I heard them say, <clears throat> well, let's address the problem of the homeless. Let's address VOTEC. Let's address, um, I don't know, probably it was by adoption as XYZ, all of which are legit. But what they didn't hear is, this 110 million ain't going to tackle all these things. It's not even going to tackle maybe even, even one of them if you think institutions. So it is an exercise in futility. Because if, well, not futility, they're smart enough to know that the county exec then will have everybody under the sun slurping at his trough, his bucket. And so they'll dispense 90,000 here, 100,000 here. And they might as well just put the big old, put them in big old Band-Aid boxes because we'll come back slurping for more. Now, what's the difference with pop-up? See, I call what came out of uh, that act, that's the Soviet approach or the Chinese approach. One size fits all. Everybody uniformly gets, kind of gets, uh, I guess, 110 million. It's uh, like the new Equity Act. Which, by the way, quick rabbit trail. No one noticed with the Equity Act that the first thing that happened was boys in Connecticut in high school sports now filed as transgender women, and they have broken many women's track records already. Yep. yep. So much for equity. And so what you have is this one-size-fits-all, where we just, here, comrade, get your money. And uh, the difference with the pop-up pantry is we did a listening uh, session there probably two years ago. And in that listening session, we all put on headphones on another 20 families, maybe representing Hispanic families. And it wasn't uh, telling what they needed. It was, uh, what do you feel are the most pressing problems? What did, the, what did we discover is probably the 
most pressing problem in the Hispanic community, at least here in Annapolis, but I think it's, it's around the country. I don't know what lack of documentation. Mm. So you can't take out a loan. You can't get uh, capital for your business. You can't, I mean, you really are working out of your trunk of your car, your pickup truck. Mm. You're living two, three families per apartment. Now these are intact families and these are hardworking people. COVID hits, the next thing you know, these kids that used to at least have some semblance of order by going to school every day are now piled into apartments where Kathy says, it's not unusual, where I'm trying to talk to a first grader. Meanwhile, there's kids running around the back and, and uh, a couple of parents sleeping on a couch. Chaos. Now, I'm not advocating one way or another regarding immigration. That's not my point. My point is, there are ways that you can solve this, but it would cost in this county alone probably over 100 million to put the infrastructure in place to give Hispanic families access, keyword, to the sort of human, political, and financial capital that we white folk just don't think twice about. And by the way, so we get the stimulus checks. They didn't get them. All right. Again, the problem with the Soviet approach. And furthermore, I don't buy the argument they're stealing jobs from Americans because my friend who's in the pool business and building fountains, what have you, he has to, he has to go through all the federal paperwork of getting Eastern Europeans here every summer. Because hmm. they're, and, and by the way, when the last time I went to the beach in Ocean City, yeah. <laughs> the subway, it was, it was Moscow. <laughs> and they're good, hardworking kids, but they're all from Russia. You go, you mean there's not enough white teenagers, black teenagers, Hispanic teenagers that want to work? Apparently not. And so when people scream about 11, 12, 13 million undocumented, mm -hmm. yeah, they, they actually underwrite most of uh, a good slug in this region of over a quarter million Hispanics, of which on average they send 50% of their income back to their mother country. And they are the ones doing the dishes cooking the food, making the beds, landscaping, vacuuming, and we're saying, let's send them back. So instead that, that hundred million could be, could be used for example, to build the infrastructure to, to help them Give actually them, become citizens. That's right. And, yeah. be, and, and gain the access right. to the, to the five, six main channels of capital that are necessary for human flourishing that is called infrastructure they don't have it and and the band-aids don't give it to them it does it gives them you know you know here's here's fourteen hundred dollars mm -hmm. okay well when i burn through that what's next and the, you know bank of america put out a thing saying uh they claim most of the people got fourteen hundred dollars if i've gotten the number right twelve fourteen hundred dollars 
What'd they do with it? Pocket it. They put it in the bank. Oh, nothing. Nothing. Well, that tells you, well, that was really meeting a pressing need. And as we well know, what is the restaurant industry experiencing right now? Collapse. No, they can't find enough people to work. They're reopening. Oh, that's fascinating. So huh. two weeks ago, you can Google these articles. They're easy to access. It was on the state of Indiana, restaurateurs. And the guy did the math and said, I'm competing against the federal government. Hmm. And the dole that, uh, that my workers are on, which has been reduced from six to 300, but he says, you do the entire package. I have to hire people at $25 an hour to compete with what they get by not working. Yep. Well, guess what a halfway intelligent person is going to do? Not work. <laughs> not work. I'm by sipping mint juleps from the veranda here. And uh, that's again, that's what the that's what the federal government does is it doesn't give based on meritocracy and what titus said what christians ought to be doing let us learn to engage in doing good deeds to meet pressing needs the pressing need in the hispanic community that's we lack the political will to address because we lack a citizenry that says, this is the pressing need. Resolve the issue of documentation. Make it accessible to even get documented because right now you run the risk of if you sort of, you know, this old nail popping up, you decide to attempt to get documented the the fear is that nail's going to get driven down driven right back to it's right back to central america and you're gone you get shipped across the border this is what we learned in the listening session is rather than let's get 30 of us white folk in there to say all the things that we can do with this money to help it was because we were mostly white people. I'm mostly white. No, is <laughs> we were told, we told everyone, shut up, put on your headphones. You can hear the translator and listen. And the listening was, I didn't hear about people wanting a stimulus check, but we did hear that when you don't have access to capital savings loans investments business partner equity llc xyz whatever you want to call it the moment people say they call them they say hey covid so we don't want people working our lawn you you lose your job in one day restaurants close you lose your job in one day your income goes to zero in one day and you don't just run down to Bank of America and take some money out or take out a loan or uh, take out a home equity loan or blah, 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 because you don't have a home. So obviously that was, uh, you know, a pressing need, the pop-up pantry 
turned into, um, you know, uh, a, a way to distribute food and resources to those families. Is that because COVID hit? Yeah, yeah, there was the catalyst rather because there's always been some needs. Food desert, for example, has always been uh, a need, but a food desert um, is by definition um, your closest access to food is mostly junk. It's junk that comes. By the way, yeah, I will wag a finger at the federal government. The junk they feed the kids for breakfast insane cinnamon buns and what have you but again that's just simply so-and-so twisted senator so-and-so's hey man i got a i got a little cinnamon bun company and i i'd love to have this contract set all that aside here's the difference pat so my wife has worked at this school and then another one up in the what would be called the white trash part north part of the county she did this for years. I would take occasional tourist trips to where she worked. I say tourists because that's Daniel Borstein's idea of what travel, which used to mean a journey fraught with danger, travel, travail. He said, Americans have become tourists. So we sort of pop in. Oh yeah, I'll come and do a little stuff here. Whew, that was a hot day. I don't think I'm gonna do that again. That took seven hours out of my Saturday. Or uh, a friend of mine talks about uh, one of the things that struck him years ago. He went with a rather large church to in Washington. We'll leave the name of the church out. But they went to Guatemala, and they were going to help the, the hurting and what have you. Uh, I believe it's Guatemala. might have the country wrong. But the fact is uh, a hurricane quickly descended upon them. So they said, we all ran back to the Marriott and uh, kind of hunkered down for the next two days. And then he thought, what the heck's going on here? I'm a tourist. I have found, by and large, and I must say something will probably irritate a lot of people. Wouldn't be the first time in my life, by the way. <laughs> the more conservative someone's theology, the less they have stuck it out in this pantry. They sort of come, show up, do something. I mean, that's all I saw a couple. I love them dearly. They're great people. I know them. I've known them for years. And it was hot, hot August day. And they just went home. They said, man, this is a killer. Now, truth be told, I'd probably be the same thing if I, if I didn't sleep with the woman who started with this thing. I got skin in the game. But I didn't have skin in the game for a long time because I would pop in as a tourist. Kathy urged me and I accepted. And uh, so it meant Friday mornings, what are you doing? Well, for a while we were uh, repackaging chicken on a hot stinking morning with our hands in freezing chicken. So it was an out-of-body experience. Your hands are freezing and the rest of your body sweating, slinging chicken juice everywhere, trying to keep everything sterile. And we did a good job in terms of keeping things clean behind this grubby restaurant in a parking lot in the shade next to a Cisco truck that stored all this. It was about as glorious as you could get. And I can see why the average person would do it one time and go, the hell with that. 
Except, see, the problem is I can walk away from that. You can't if you're Hispanic. And so I just went the next week and I went the next week. And there's been a core group of a dozen or so week after week. And by and large, by and large, they're either liberal or by and large, they're irreligious. They're funny. They're hardworking. They care. They demonstrate they actually give a damn because they give up the freedom of their Saturday, every other Saturday, because of the pressing need that COVID brought to the fore, the thinness, the lack of any kind of social safety net for the Hispanic community exposed it. So uh, this is interesting. What, what would you say is a difference in, in this way? I almost see this is like a, a trough of food that you're handing out. It's all for free. It can be t- taken. There's no, there's no merit in that. It seems, what would you say is, is different about it? Well, the difference is, uh, first of all, Pressing needs means, um, for example, if you break, you break your leg, it doesn't help me to come up to you and say, well, Pat, next time, be a little more careful when you're on the ladder, okay? See ya. <laughs> so this, in other words, this is an immediate need. It needs a, a fix such as this. Whereas, exactly. Yeah. And, and the, the problem with, let's take, for example, what you talked about with the, the federal government, the stimulus checks, the problem with that is, yes, it is a pressing need, but is it is it the right need and is it the right solve? Like you, you do know immediately these families need food. They do not have income. They do not have good food. So you, you know it's a very small pocket in this specific community, a very specific problem, as opposed to let's just cut some checks. That's right. And uh, the biggest need, it turns out, really is, is diapers. Golly, the number. I can't even give you the stats. Oh, but right wow. now, we're, we're past 60,000 individuals have come through. Now, again, it's all screened. You have to be have a child connected to the school. When your car gets in this long line out on the street, it's stretched. I've come sometimes over 100 cars when we open. You have bilingual people uh, going to each car and asking a series of questions and those get checked on a, on a sheet of paper and put on the windshield. So when the car comes around, we know this, this car, three families, five boxes or five uh, packages of diapers, these sizes, X, Y, Z. So there's actually six stations, educational materials, clothing, toys, diapers, fresh produce, so on and so forth. All that's got to be arranged, set out in the hot, stinking summer, uh, tents put over it to protect it from the sun, so on and so forth. There's just a whole lot of work, about 75 people on average <clears throat> every Saturday, generally about seven hours there. And, um, and there's a lot of laughter coming from the cars, too. I mean, people are just genuinely grateful. But what you learn, what well, I'm sort of getting at, Pat, is... Um, it's like, well, you do weightlifting. Um, 
I wish I did weightlifting. Uh, <laughs> and so the difference between you and me is that, um, you know, the feel and the touch and all that stuff you've acquired, sensory knowledge through your hands and your body, it's all become second nature. We, the people who come week in and week out had that sensory touch. So they were just now a hundred million. Uh, by the way, so one of the people who's involved, and again, we always joke, she wouldn't know Jesus from her blue jeans, but she's a delight. And uh, she was on CNBC. That's called cultural capital because uh, CNBC wanted to uh, said, what makes this pantry more effective? Why is it gaining? Well, the, we just got a governor's um, award two weeks ago. The lieutenant governor came and said, well, the, the, uh, you know, the state recognizes this as an exemplary approach. It's because it meets an immediate need, but it's also we have now shifted into thinking systems. What systems would have to be in place? And once you get into systems, their cost skyrocket. Sure. Yeah. But the difference would be you're working from the real world back. So you're not saying, well, give me an example. I was part of a project many years ago with a ministry who had a very wealthy board member. And so I was um, invited to head up a project where there was a property on the Maryland's Eastern shore and it was acquired and it was about a $6 million build out. See, that's the problem with it is we built something and then we said, they will come. <laughs> One of the worst movies ever made. <laughs> and so what's infected the not-for-profit world is building, they will come. So let's build a thing for a homeless. This county spent $11 million 20 years ago on a, quote, innovation center that now sits empty. Wow. Build it and they will come. But what they didn't ask was they didn't sit down and do listening sessions with actual innovators and say, <clears throat> now, if there was a physical center located over here, would you use it? They would have found out from a lot of people, why do I need to go there? Oh, well, we have these resources, or you'll get mentoring, or, or the collaboration, to which most innovators are saying, well, I've got all that. So the, the Pava Pantry, to go with our medical analogy, it sounds to me like the view is this is more of a cast than a Band-Aid. It's an emergency thing. It's it's a it's a supportive structure designed to be temporary, not necessarily long term. And as you, you know, as as COVID hopefully winds down mm -hmm. and life goes back to normal, mm -hmm. then that sort of task force of people, that core group, it now shifts into more systemic uh, thinking in terms of how do we solve this with institutions? How do we solve the bigger problems here with institutions? We, this, this whole right. immediate need is no longer. And the problem is band-aids are often taking those immediate solutions and thinking that they are, they will suffice long-term. Yes. That makes well sense. Said. So what we're doing right now, <clears throat> that the core group of which I'm not on that, but I do overhear the core cause it's Kathy, these other women 
who have a hoot, by the way, on their Zoom. They talk about a different ambiance. Their Zoom the night before, laughter, but also just kind of getting after it. Versus last night, this, oh, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. They are, the pop-up pantry leadership is pivoting right now. Yes, too. So this has exposed a lack of systems. What would it take to put those systems mm -hmm. in place? And I would tell you that the, the systems that are lacking would cost well over $100 million. But I doubt, I, I'm skeptical that the county would do that because again, the Soviet approach is very much like a church approach, by the way, is uh, well, we'll give you $1,000 for that, we'll give you 5,000 for that, we'll give you 10,000 for that. And um, so what they'll do is they'll just, uh, just uh, you know, the Bible says, don't get drunk with wine. That's dissipation. That just means, you know, just dissipate it all over. It's just a waste of good wine. Um, they're just going to take the money and waste it. Waste it. Because the models for, for example, work training, the best ones that I saw in Baltimore, the infrastructure cost a lot of money. And uh, Mike Rowe visited him one. You can find it, I think, on Dirty Jobs if you Google back. But that one alone required a, an entire pass-through to say, okay, here are people who have served time in the prison system. They come out. They can't find work. We're going to train them in the trades of which there is a sore lack of need. So see, if you start on the ground and you run an HVAC company, most HVAC companies are crying for qualified help. Trucking industry, by the way, same. And so you got, you have, but then you create an infrastructure that says, okay, you're not going to hire people out of the goodness of their heart. You're going to hire trained people. Where's the infrastructure to train these people? So it's been well known you reduce recidivism significantly if someone who comes out of incarceration is put into work that actually pays for, on average, the support system of four people in the African-American community because the male tends to be responsible or irresponsible for four others. So you have a net five. And if they, you lift five out of poverty, if that breadwinner, let's say, working in HVAC. Well, the infrastructure just to set up that alone for the amount of people incarcerated in, in Maryland would cost well over $100 million. Just that one problem. Wow. We don't think systems. Another, this is why um, if, if the Biden administration worked it in the same way that MacArthur, this is where right now we're, we're, we're killing ourselves because the 110 million should be run like MacArthur. Except everybody doesn't get a little bit of the bucket of money will scream equity, equal, equality. 
And C.S. Lewis and others rightly know the kingdom of God is not a is not a democracy. It's meritocracy. Not in terms of earning salvation, but in terms of earning the capital and what have you. So that that's why Paul and the rest they always write, "You were saved that you might." become like this. You might be a prepared virgin. You might be able to exercise this kind of, and you might. Well, how do you do that? Like the sons of Judah in Babylon, you have to earn that kind of cultural capital to be taken seriously. It just doesn't float down from heaven because now you're saved, and so you're sanctified, and you're just different from everybody else. It, that is not what the Bible teaches. It actually teaches that everyone is made in the image of God. Even when we fell, that image is retained, but the likeness fell away. And I find it, I'm going to say something rather provocative here, but I think it could be close to the mark, Pat. The likeness of God, you have to work, work out your salvation so that comes back. You can be made in the image of God, but the likeness disappeared or was pretty badly mangled. And I just find it ironic that I go to a pantry where people who don't know Jesus from their blue jeans embody more of the likeness of Jesus. Mm, wow. Wow. But I don't find it ironic because the only two people who get commended by Jesus for their faith, were people who Israel assumed were very far from the kingdom of God. Huh. It's like Bonhoeffer says, the grace of the gospel is the imitation itself. That's right. Yeah. And so here you have people, I've got to know one of the guys, he, he pretty much left his faith, uh, Colombian guy. Just a great guy, though. And he thinks systems because he works for one of the largest food distributors in the U.S. So he just thinks systems. And uh, he's just, also he's hardworking. And I also go, he's got a job. You know, he works and he coaches soccer. And, but he's also, as his schedule allows, he's always there because he just looks around and says, you got to do something. We got to do something. And rather than just throw money or people at it, do something intelligent as best you can, organized, and stay at it. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think that by and large in the faith community, we've cultivated for, I don't know how, all the reasons, but we haven't cultivated in the body of Christ, at least in Western Christianity, a, um, let's limit our focus and stay at it. Like Lifeway Church did in D.C. Because they didn't say, oh, we're all about this and that and small groups and community and evangelism and, and this and that and youth and blah, blah. We've got 49 different ministries going here. The mall approach in the church today is anchored in nothing, just like the mall in this town, Annapolis Mall, that no longer has anchors. Nordstrom's, Macy's, Lord & Taylor's, Penny's, Sears, gone. 
And so that's what the church is. It's not anchored in anything. And so it's just that, come on in, we offer everything for you. And I think what that creates is a consumer rather than a congregation that says, well, I'm going to hear this person. I'm going because I get, I'm going because I get this. I'm going because I get this. The pop-up pantry is different. It says, we're going to this inglorious thing over and over till we have met this pressing need, which by the way, with the COVID seemingly to recede, we've seen also a number of cars receding lower uh, and we believe people are going back to work. And so I think it's down like 280 cars now uh, from a high at one time of close to 500. And it probably reflects people are being rehired, mm. but it also then reflects Time for us to pivot because COVID was our humiliate our humiliation. I believe in humiliation has exposed how there are swaths of populations in this country that we live very close to. And as Christians, by and large, we just write a check. Hmm. Well, guess what we're doing then? exactly what this administration is doing. And then how do we know what's effective? We rely on the people who slurp at our trough. So of course they're gonna write, it was awesome. Except come work at our pantry and you'll get a different take on things. You'll go, well, this isn't necessarily awesome. In fact, would I wanna do this every Saturday? Get in my car, get here at 8.30, know it opens at 10.30, wait in line. I think, frankly, some of them feel, I don't enjoy this. I'm really grateful. But this has got to be humiliating for some people who are very industrious. We don't think about that unless you actually see them eye to eye, unless you actually put things in the back of their cars. And you do that enough, you begin to go, I am in love with my neighbor. I should write a check. Or I show up every once in a while and then I go home and I feel, man, wow, I'm a, I'm a good guy. But I make sure I scurry back to my safe and secure home. I think what Papa gives you is unfortunately we've kind of bifurcated this in some ways that, that uh, you have some, and I heard some, some of them were on this Zoom last night, well, if you really care, you move into that community. Well, I don't think uh, uh, you know a white couple in the middle of the Hispanic community is necessarily a great answer. If I'm living next door, how's that help me? It's but you can get that sort of sense of you know if we just all right listen. I think they. They really enjoy living with one another because they enjoy their music, their food, their customs, and so on and so forth. And their and their restaurants, these little restaurants, making great food. So what Monica has done, again, one who received, I believe, a million dollars from some other source, but this was more strategic. It was allocated to those who think systems, who work in the restaurants, who can then pay the 
overcome the this um, unemployment compensation gap that the federal government created to incentivize people not to work by having incentivizing the employers to keep their restaurant workers and the food they prepare, even though their customer numbers are way down, that food is actually prepared and brought to the pantry. And I've seen some sensational meals, you know, pre-made that have been developed, delivered hundreds sometimes. I'm sitting there going, dang, I wish I had that. And uh, man, does it smell good. Well, what they're doing is a systems approach. They're retaining the restaurants they don't go under by subsidizing the workers to prepare for a period of time to prepare meals, not for customers who aren't showing up and will not show up, but over here for people who have a need for more nutritious food. So you get a twin win. I believe she was in charge of the meritorious allocation of a million dollars that grant. That's different than, okay, we got 110 million. What are we going to do? It's just like when I was part of a 6 million. Okay, we got a beautiful property now, renovated on the Eastern Shore. What are we going to do? Well, that project, by the way, closed in three years. Jeez. Because it never started with, okay, who's our, who's our, let's put it this way, who's our customer base? Right. They claim the customer base was Fortune 500 uh, corporations and their leaders looking for places to have uh, confabs or get togethers. And they say, okay, who's our competition? Had we done that, we'd say, ah, that's who we're competing against? Yes. So why would they land at BWI airport, especially if they're coming out for a weekend, fight the traffic to the beach, take the two and a half to plus three hours to come near St. Michael's to come to this property? Ah, so the surveys indicate they won't do that. Nah. <laughs> so who, who do we imagine coming? Now again, Christians go, well, God can do anything. No, you can't lie. He can't hate you. And I don't think he suspends the laws of reality to go, well, God bless you, Mike, because you love me. I'm going to make people materialize from the soil on this property. And that will make the numbers work. <laughs> <laughs> so again, our, our experience is very similar to this 110 million. But I always joke when Kathy was saying, well, you know, there's this unused series of buildings out in the western more a little west of here in the county used to be a state hospital and the rest and they're all just salivating what could be done and they go i get there i get the heebie-jeebies when i hear that because i go it, it's just like this pat you win tomorrow a maserati within a few weeks what are you going to do I, uh, I don't, I don't, I really don't know. Maybe I'm yes, driving it. Maybe I'm selling it. I, I don't know. <laughs> You're selling it. Why? You get your first insurance bill. Ah, uh, yeah, sure. You say to Maddie, we can't afford this. You know what extreme home makeover found out after a few years? Yeah. Didn't those homes get uh, foreclosed upon? Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, First of all, they, they created such huge incongruities 
the resentment of other neighbors. But second, they couldn't afford them. There was one home they put in 12 large screen TVs and one in every bedroom. Do you know what the power bill on that thing? The utility <laughs> bill? And so in the same way, HGTV gives away these homes. And one of the things they learned early on, you'll notice, and you get a quarter million dollars cash. Yeah. Why? <laughs> to pay for the house. <laughs> to pay for, you get it. Yeah, you, you win this house in Naples, Florida. Guess what you get? A tax bill. taxes yeah <laughs> and you sit there and the first thing you do so most of the hgtv homes uh you know you're giddy and then you start getting the bills and you go we gotta sell this thing and most of them do get sold and that's a lot of it's because they're not accessible to where you live so hey one place in montana great <laughs> we're in maryland how often you gotta ask yourself the question so if you were going to Montana like every other week, that's a win. If you've never been to Montana, <laughs> so you're, you're not in any sort of work where you've actually said, oh, Lord, if you, based upon what we've learned and what we're doing, we could solve this problem with $110 million. Please bring $110 million. It appears. Now, instead... We want $110 million. What are we going to do with it? We want a home on HGTV. What are we going to do with it? We want a Maserati. You're going to sell that Maserati. You have someone bump that thing and your insurance goes, whoop, up it goes because, you know, that's a, that's a $10,000 repair on your quarter million dollar Maserati. What? Hey, buddy, you're driving a Maserati. We're selling it. And then you're paying the taxes on that. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get away. So we just don't, we don't start with dirt under our fingernails. We just don't. We, and so if you start with dirt under your fingernails in the developing world, you would go, well, here's the real problem with adoption. And it would cost a hundred million dollars to create the systems. They would solve 90% of these, not all of them, but 90%. Well, first of all, you catch flack from all the adoption agencies. And second, you realize this is a $100 million problem. If we don't have $100 million to create the infrastructure, don't start advertising we're solving one of the great problems in the world. We're not. We're mitigating some of the damage. That's it. I'm pretty certain this $110 million will mitigate at best perhaps some of the damage that's what the pop-up pantry started to do that's why it started but as you mitigate if you're serious all about solving the problem you use the hands-on up to your eyeballs and work experience to go hey i'm an expert on this because i have more experience than anyone else in this this is how 100 million could solve the lack of systems. You could establish a system. So if COVID hits again, 80% of these families don't lose their work. But that's all you could solve would be maybe just that one problem. <laughs>